everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, as always, Kerry Parker, and today we are closing out our interview with Ben Moskowitz from Consumer Reports, Part 2. And today we're going to kind of get into the nitty-gritty. We're going to tell you uh, they've got some really cool tools. One is a digital standard that they've come up with that you can participate in, and we'll tell you about that. Uh, where they're basically trying to, you know, come up with an open source definition for what it means to be, you know, private and secure. And, you know, specifically, what do we mean by that? You know, how do we determine what is private? What what are the aspects of privacy? What are the aspects of security that we care about? And how do we judge whether or not something is good based on those criteria? It's really cool. And it's a great thing that they're doing it. And it's also really cool that they're basically leaving it open to everybody. Everybody, including you, everybody listening to uh, this podcast right now can contribute. So definitely want to check that out, and you will hear more about it here in the interview. We're also going to talk about an, a really great tool they've got that you can use today, right now, as soon as you hear about it, <laughs> to to make yourself more secure and private. It, it, it basically asks you a bunch of questions, and it, you when you answer and tell it, you know, what, what you're concerned about, what kind of, you know, what your tax service basically looks like in cybersecurity parlance. It will give you a customized checklist of things that you can do to improve your security and privacy. It's it's wonderful. So we're, we're going to get into that today with Ben Moskowitz. And we're going to get to it very soon. Uh, I know you're anxious to, to finish that off, as am I. But I've got a lot of other things to tell you about. And I will save those for the, the, the last half of the show, where after the interview, I'll go through them all. But just to make sure you stay tuned, we're going to talk about my adventures with Facebook and YouTube, which has been really quite ridiculous. Facebook in particular. We're going to talk about the 200th episode. It is right around the corner. It is just two weeks away, and it's it's going to be amazing. I mean, I thought my 100th episode was really cool. This one is just going to be off the hook. So uh, we've got Bruce Schneier. We've got all sorts of great audio snippets coming in from past guests and really cool security and privacy people with some great ideas for New Year's resolutions that you might want to adopt in 2021. And just in general, looking ahead in a positive way and some things we've got to look forward to and things we could do to make 2021 much better than the dumpster fire that has been 2020. <laughs> so anyway, that's going to be a really great show. I mean, and the prizes, I can't believe what some of these uh, some of these companies have been donating to the cause. I mean, literally hundreds of dollars worth of stuff, probably over a thousand at this point. So lots of really valuable, really cool stuff. You're definitely going to want to tune into that. And I'll give you a little bit more information about that again, after the, after we finish off this interview, I will also update you on the review blitz that we've been going through and where that stands and how close we are to reach, reaching our goals. Uh, and the AMA or the ask me anything session I will be giving for anybody who participates in that. And a few other updates as well, including some important news items about some scams and, um, viruses and stuff going around right now that you're definitely going to definitely going to want to stay tuned for. So uh, we'll be doing that after we finish the interview, but let's do that first. Let's uh, get back to part two of our interview with Ben Moskowitz from Consumer Reports. All right, one more thing, and then we'll talk about, then we'll get into this digital standard, but at a philosophical level, you know, it's, it's a cliche, you know, we have both carrot and stick approaches to privacy, right? There's, you either convince these makers to embrace privacy as a profitable market differentiator, which is one of the things you've been talking about and hoping for. But then, you know, there's also implementing regulations, what we've also talked about with fines, you know, to compel this behavior. Do we need both? And if so, how do we balance those two approaches? Yeah, you definitely need both. I mean, you, you need uh, laws in place to protect consumers uh, that set a high bar and set, you know, bad penalties for companies to mess up. 
you know, but that's the floor. That sets the floor for the marketplace, right? Uh, and then you want to have, you know, incentives for companies to go above and beyond and, you know, maybe raise the floor over time. Um, so I think you absolutely need both. Good. <laughs> I do, yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, we're getting there. So let's let's get into this digital standard. This is really neat. Uh, so to me, the real reason that, you know, market-based approaches fail most often is that the average consumer really can't objectively compare two different products or services in terms of security and privacy, right? It's not an obvious thing. Uh, you know, even if they wanted to, you know, the information is either impossible to find or impossible to comprehend. If you, even if you find the stats and the tech specs and all those kind of things, right? For the average consumer, you know, how do they still compare this thing? So you guys have launched this program, the digital standard, that seems to address this very problem. So give us a little more information about, you know, how this started and how it will work. Yeah. So, you know, if you're trying to evaluate something like um, safety or value, a lot of times that's pretty easy to do objectively. If you crash a car at 60 miles per hour and that car gets crushed and that mm -hmm. one's still intact, well, you know, objectively, you know. Right. S some of what we're talking about is starting to get into like normative, you know, ideas of what's good, right? So what is good when it comes to privacy or security or, or even something like ownership? You know, we look at DRM, we look at interoperability, we look at, you know, right to repair. Yep. So the digital standard is our attempt at having the best statement of what's good, for any given product in the digital marketplace, what's good? And the approach that we're taking is it is an open source framework. So every quarter we invite everyone who's got an opinion uh, to get involved. You know, the project is hosted on GitHub. We have quarterly governance meetings and we try to bring in everyone who has a say, you know, security researchers, digital rights organizations, companies themselves. And so the, hopefully the digital standard is like the best current statement of what's good and how do we evaluate good mm -hmm. so we've been using the digital standard uh, for about two years now and when we do product reviews we also do a digital standard based evaluation uh, of things like privacy and security so you know we've looked at smart tvs robotic vacuums peer-to-peer -peer payment apps the whole gamut of products and and the the way that we do the evaluation the way that we do a comparison is based on the digital standard and so uh, that's very useful for us, obviously, right? It gives us a tool mm -hmm. for, for our work. But what we hope for the digital standard to do is to be, you know, the consensus of the digital rights, you know, kind of community. And we'd, we'd love to see not just Consumer Reports using it, but lots of different organizations using it to evaluate the goodness of a given product or service. Well, and I know that I've looked at, from what I've seen online that this is developing, and you've actually had the categories, but stoplight categories of you know how how mature different elements of the standard are as you develop it, and so I know it's a work in progress. But and I know I didn't, I didn't really give you a heads up about this, but because you possibly walk through like an example, like it, take a take a recent thing you've done that you've that you've used a standard for, and like walk us through like the the elements of the standard, like what what have you defined as kind of objective product agnostic categories or questions mm -hmm. to ask that you try to answer as you come up with a, a rating for a product? Yeah. So let me just walk through the privacy part of the digital standard just to illustrate. So the standard's broken down into kind of high level things, right? Security, privacy, ownership, governance. And for each of those, you can kind of drill down. So under privacy, subcategories include access and control, data use and sharing, data retention, overreach. And underneath each of those, what you'll have are criteria, which are things that we think are good, right? This is our normative judgment of what good looks mm -hmm. like. 
Underneath that, you've got indicators. And underneath that, you've got procedures. So a testing organization like CR will drill down all the way to the procedures, will go into a lab, will collect and normalize the data, and hopefully that paints a picture of whether you know the various products are on par as far as the criteria are concerned. So for instance, uh, under access and control, I can see and control everything the company knows about me. That's one of the criteria. Indicators. The definition of user information in the privacy policy includes information collected from third parties. Hmm. Users can control the collection of their information. Users can control how their information is used to target advertising. And it keeps going. right? And so what, every time we are about to, to rate a new product category, uh, we'll sit down, we'll, we'll kind of describe the product category, and then we'll see which of the product attributes map to the digital standard. And that'll give us a very long checklist of like two or 300 things that we need to look at to be able to comprehensively, you know, put forth an evaluation. And the way that we do it is on a Likert scale, not to get too far into it, but you know, it's a numerical scale. Mm -hmm. You might get a one or a five. Mm -hmm. uh, And then at the end, we can calculate a score and we can say, look, all things being equal, this one has an 88, that one has a 75, this one's better. So what the digital standard is meant to do is those criteria, they can keep evolving. And in fact, we, we plan on it, right? Mm-hmm. This is not a static framework. It's going to keep evolving until the end of time, God willing. <laughs> uh, and, and so it'll, it'll enable us to continue iterating on what it is that we evaluate, uh, but also it'll give us a common framework you know, to collect data with other partners, to report back in a consistent way. Hopefully in the future, a company can come and say, hey, here's my product, I'll describe it. And then the digital standard can spit out a product-specific evaluation framework that a company can self-assess and have a good idea of how they'll be able to improve. You know, if they want to get a higher rating with Consumer Reports, just address these five things and, and that'll happen, right? Right. Uh, so it's, it's a big sort of, um, you know, data project, I, I even think is a fair way to describe it. And the way that we want to build it is not, you know, within the four walls of Consumer Reports. You know, it's really an open source project and we invite anyone to come to the digitalstandard.org and, and get involved in that. Well, and of course, the, I would think that the way that you'd want this to work eventually is that when these kind of things work well, what ends up happening is these are public standards. And these companies, assuming that it comes to the point in the consumer psyche where it's, it's, it's like the old underwriter's laboratory symbol, right? We always used to look for UL listed. I don't even know what that means. But as a kid, I remember that was a good thing when I saw that on a product. And so I assume that we're looking for the same kind of things. And once the companies know that we know about these things, then I would think they'd be seeking you out and... And I guess generally looking for certification. Do you ever foresee this being a thing that might have a certification program where there would be like a seal of approval? And let me let me put that in a slightly different way. So obviously you guys have your rating systems and you to do what you need to do, you need subscriptions and money. And, and some of that I'm sure is donations, but a lot of it's people coming and buying your magazine or subscribing. But what that means, in effect, if I want to buy something, I need to go to your magazine and try to look it up and find it. What I really would mm-hmm. like to see is more like a nutrition label where I'm at the point of sale. I am on Amazon or I'm at the store and I want to hold up product A and product B next to each other and compare them in some objective way. Do you, Is there any way that as a consumer you, you think that's going to be a possible future? Yeah, I think that uh, this could undergird a lot of those kinds of future you know, consumer information approaches. We have what's called the Trustmark. So CR launched a program called CR Recommends about six months ago. And you know the idea is you are at the supermarket or you're at Best Buy, and if a product has emerged through our testing independently as just the leader 
and it's indisputable, uh, then they can license the CR mark and people will know that mm. it's a CR recommended pick. Um, so that's something that we've experimented with. You mentioned UL. Mm-hmm. Uh, UL actually launched a IoT security trust mark at CES this January. Hmm. Uh, in the before times, when you could actually have a CES. <laughs> right. uh, I was there, actually. It was the first time I'd gone there, and I'm so glad I went because it may never happen again, or at least not like well, I did now. I got lucky and got one more in before the before the, <laughs> before the pandemic. You know, the, yeah, the, the last thing I actually went to was RSA. And mm. uh, it's, yeah, the before times, yep. very different time. But yeah, so UL has something... Um, which is very similar to what you're describing. I think there will be a lot of experimentation, you know, with this kind of seal of approval, as you called it. You know, there's also a group out of Carnegie Mellon that's experimenting with a privacy nutrition label. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is the same way you can pick up a cereal box and see how much saturated fat's in mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You know, you should be able to pick up a digital product and understand what will happen with your data and things like that. Uh, so I think there will be a lot. And what I hope is that the digital standard can, you know, provide the substance behind these kinds of things. You know, there's lots and lots of frameworks and standards. What we're trying to do with the digital standard is really have a community kind of consensus approach. If you disagree with something in the digital standard, you know, do a pull request, let's talk it out. You know, and that's a fundamentally different approach than uh, what a UL or, you know, someone like a NIST can do where it's it's a five or seven year process. Once it's set, it becomes, you know, pretty stable, which has its own benefits. The digital standard is meant to evolve in real time. So, you know, it's it's kind of a different different theory of the case, right? And at the moment, we don't have any specific ideas about, you know, a seal of approval. But, you know, this is an open source framework. So if someone wanted to do that, we would definitely encourage it. So as a software developer, I'm certainly well aware of what Git is and what GitHub service is and how to do a pull request. But most of my audience probably has no idea what we're talking about. So if the average Joe, if someone listening to this this program wants to provide feedback, wants to review what you're doing and give feedback, how how would you recommend they do that? I mean, do they need to learn Git to do this? Do they need to, no, you know, not necessarily. Yeah, so uh, how would they so, do it? So if you go to thedigitalstandard.org, you can view the whole standard in its entirety. And it's a snapshot of this quarter's version. Every quarter, you know, there'll be some modest updates and you can see what's changed. If you had a comment on any part of it, uh, the easiest way would just be to contact us. So there's a form, and hmm. uh, you can say that I want to provide feedback, and you can drop your feedback, and someone will be in touch. You can also kind of directly comment. So if you go to any part of the standard, there's a little cat icon, mm-hmm. which people in the know will associate with GitHub. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you know, if I if I look at the encryption part of the digital standard, and I as a cryptographer, I'm like, oh, that's way off. <laughs> Uh, they can click right through. It'll take you to you know where that part of the digital standard is currently being maintained. And if you are you know technical, uh, you can leave a comment. You can also write your own proposed version of the standard and submit that version uh, for review. So you know no matter how technical you are, there are ways to get involved in this, including regular meetings. If you're uh, an average Joe consumer. And there's things that you care about that are not part of the digital mm-hmm. standard. We, we would love to hear that from you. If you are a really specific security researcher and you feel that our procedures are out of date, we'd love to hear that too. Well, I'll definitely be putting links to all this in the in the show notes. So we'll, I'll definitely be driving people to that. It, that's great. That's what this is. That's really really cool. One last question on this, and I want to talk about another tool you guys have got. Um, 
And that is, you, you talked about, uh, you know, the Craigslist and Craig Newmark, who is uh, the founder of that, involved in this. I saw the Ford Foundation was involved in well uh, as well, and I saw some other, you know, kind of philanthropic or consumer-oriented groups. What about, does it make sense for, like, Apple and Google and Facebook and Twitter and, and other manufacturers, Samsung? Does it make for them sense for them to get actively directly involved in this? I know that could be a blessing and a curse. We want that, for sure. Uh, so whenever we uh, undertake a new testing project, we seek dialogue with manufacturers about what should be part of the evaluation. So, you know, we point them to the framework that is derived from the standard. We give them an opportunity to comment on it. And once we've got the results, we make the results available to them as well. Uh, you know, so if we were doing, um, you know, smart cameras, you know, Ring would absolutely be part of that process. So would Waze and so on. And that's an important part of it. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, in the 21st century, you can do this kind of work without involving the people in the companies that are building mm -hmm. the products every day. I mean, the, the speed of the marketplace, uh, you know, the ways that we all think and, and try to embody our values. Like, I know that, you know, 95% of the stuff in the digital standard is stuff that the companies really believe in. And, you know, the engineers and product designers and product marketers, they, they really want to you know, lead, right? They want to they score as highly as they can. In some cases, they may want the digital standard to go beyond what it is today. And I think that could be a great source of power. You know, pe people working in tech, um, you know, who, who see opportunities to improve what they're building and can, and can act on those. I mean, we should definitely look to support them in any way we can. All right. Well, uh, got a little time left, and I definitely want to cover this one more tool that I ran across that you guys had, and you, that's called the Security Planner, and it's it's really neat. I was really, I mean, I I kind of often dreamed of even creating something like this, but there's no way I could have came close to what you guys did. So this is a comprehensive tool for basically helping anybody, uh, and you know, right now to improve their privacy and security. So tell you know, give us a little introduction. What does this tool do for me, and and how would I use it? So it's a free tool. Uh, it takes five minutes, and it's really worth doing. If you go to securityplanner.org, uh, you can take it for a spin. The, the history of this is that in 2017, uh, a group of security researchers and experts said, there's really no easy way for normal people mm -hmm. to figure out what they need to do to secure their life. There's lots of conflicting evidence and conflicting advice. Uh, it's pretty overwhelming yeah. for most people. And so uh, a, a group out of the Citizen Lab in Toronto uh, put together, you know, what's meant to be a great personalized resource where you show up and you say, okay, I use an iPhone, uh, I use a security camera, I am worried about protecting myself from ransomware, I want to learn about communicating privately, whatever it may be, right? So you, you kind of move to this quick diagnostic, and based on your answers, you get a, a ranked set of recommendations uh, that you can kind of work through and they're all really practical. That launched in 2017. I think it had, you know, something like 30 recommendations. And in the last year, we've been working really closely with Citizen Lab to relaunch this product. And so, you know, CR is now the, the steward of this initiative. We're going to be maintaining it going forward. And we're really proud of it. So if you have, you know, a member of the family who is interested in having a more secure life and uh, doesn't know what to do, send them over. Uh, if, if you yourself think you, it's time for a checkup, <laughs> you know, you'll probably see a lot of stuff that you have been advised to do, but maybe some new things. And you can sort the recommendations by, well, how long will it take me to do this? Uh, only show me the things that are free. 
And, and what we're trying to do also is continue to maintain this. So uh, if you create a plan and if you sign up for a CR account, which is all free, you can keep track of your plan. We can help you be aware of new things that you should be aware of, you know, as, as time goes on. So we're, we're also trying to make it, um, you know, a utility, something that is really helpful for people and and evolves as the security threats evolve. Well, I, I went through myself, and it, it's wonderful. It, and I'll definitely put that link in the show notes as well. It's the really cool thing about it is, like you said, is that there's there's tons of information out there. And I ran into this trouble when I wrote the book. Uh, is that you know I've got a hundred I don't know set hundred seventy tips, but how do you know which of those applies apply to you, right? And which ones not only just because of what products you do or don't have, but you know what you do and don't care about. Um, and that's the beauty of this tool is it really kind of walks you through some of those basic questions and then spits out a custom list of steps that you could take that applies specifically to you. And, and I love that it breaks it down by, you know, wh what it might cost, how much effort it is. It's, it's really cool. I, it's a great tool. Thank you. I, I've seen others like this, maybe not nearly as aggressive, but I've, I've seen some other cool tools. And you said you worked, I know you worked at Mozilla. They have one called Privacy Not Included, which also kind of has a minimum set of privacy standards and tries to, you know, go through... You know, common popular products. Some of it looks crowdsourced. I'm not sure how much of it is actually from them and how much of it's from just people kind of giving their own personal subjective views, but that is another tool. I don't know how much you know about that one, but do you have any other recommendations? Do you know of other tools in this space in addition to yours that maybe take a slightly different angle that people might also want to look at? Yeah. Um, uh, privacy not included is really cool because it's sort of a hybrid of things that we do. So it is product specific advice uh, it tries to summarize just the top line kind of privacy things that you might want to think about or, or worry about. But, you know, it has some nice and fun things in there, too. So uh, Mozilla is asking every visitor to the site to tell them how creepy they think mm, this product yep. is. And so after you vote, you can kind of see what the crowd thinks. Uh, and then you can sort by the creepiest products. So <laughs> I think I think it's a really great uh, resource, you know, for anyone, maybe a parent who's thinking, you know, I don't know about this toy. Uh, you know, you can check out Privacy Not Included and see if there's any red flags, see if there's anything that, that the crowd thinks, you know, you should be aware of. So I think it's it's really neat, Privacy Not Included. Yep, definitely. Are you, are you aware of anything else like that? I'm not. I just wondered if you might be. Uh, you know, there's, I think there's more and more demand for this kind of thing. I would definitely check out CR because we, we're trying to offer some of the best and most structured advice that we can. So Security Planner is really great. Privacy Not Included, really great. Maybe if folks listening have other ideas, they can share them with us. Yep. And if I find any more, I'll definitely uh, throw those in as well. Okay. So before, as we wrap up here, um, what other maybe fun and useful things can we look forward to from Consumer Reports? What's on the, what's on the roadmap? Well, we're going to keep on doing investigative work to help show what the emerging consumer harms are. I mean, there's so many things that are kind of like what privacy was 10 years ago, where the technologists were really aware that there was a problem. Uh, and it had not yet hit mainstream awareness. I, one of those things, I think, is um, you know the role of AI in perpetuating different mm, kinds yeah. of systemic bias. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're taking a close look and, and trying to see where we can detect, maybe get involved in mitigating some of those biases. You know, We've done investigations on things like car insurance uh, and the factors that can go into your rate. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes they're head scratchers. Oh, yeah. You know, we're also interested in you know how different people might have different experiences with technology based on who they are. And one thing I'd plug is for anyone interested in that issue, we're going to be hosting a screening of a great documentary film uh, that just came out recently called Coded Bias. Hmm. It's a documentary that follows a researcher called Joy Bulamwani of the MIT Media Lab. And uh, she 
did some pioneering research on the, the racial bias in facial recognition software, mm. uh, you know, testified to Congress, mm-hmm. uh, has really done a lot to popularize and to raise awareness of you know, what needs to be done by technologists to make sure they're not perpetuating bias, you know, in their technology. And uh, if, if you want to watch that film, you can get a free online um, viewing party invitation. Oh, cool. Uh, just, just, yeah, search for Consumer Reports Coded Bias, sign up, uh, and you can watch it between now and December 14th. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, so we're, we'll, we'll keep, you know, an eye out for what those emerging, you know, kind of consumer harms are, and uh, we'll keep building out some of these tools to try to help people take matters into their own hands. Uh, and we'll keep listening. You know, we'd love to hear from folks uh, where we ought to be focused and, and things we can be doing to build a better marketplace. Before I let you go, two more questions. One of them is, how best can we help you? I mean, obviously, I would think that subscribing to the service must must help you. Are there anything else that we... Do you have enough people? I mean, <laughs> do you, if somebody wanted to actually somehow contribute time to this, is that something that they could do through Consumer Reports? How, how do we best support the efforts yeah. that you're doing? Well, first and foremost, I would say be a member. So CR is a nonprofit member organization. Sure, as a member, you get access to ratings. You get the magazine. That's really neat. Uh, but more importantly, you're supporting the work that we're all doing together to help consumers. So I would definitely say become a member, and for more reasons than one. If you're looking to volunteer, we everything you heard about today, we're treating as an open source project. So if you want to get involved in a security planner, if you want to get involved in the digital standard, if you want to help build experimental services to help people manage their data, uh, everything we talked about, uh, we, we're really seeking volunteers, feedback. And so definitely get in touch. The best way to get in touch, I think, is if you go to lab.cr.org. Hmm. Uh, again, that's lab.cr.org. That's the landing page for our program, Digital Lab. We're coordinating all of these efforts within Consumer Reports. Uh, and you can get in touch from there. We'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. And the second question is, do you have any personal preferences, any any personal tips or resources that you recommend when someone asks you, I want to learn more about or uh, protect my privacy better or my security better? What Where do you send them? What books, documentaries, websites, other than your own, of course? What other advice might you have for people? That's a really great question. Because I can't help getting political. I love Shoshana Zuboff's Mm, uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism Mm -hmm. because what it tries to do is kind of step up a little bit and and try to understand in historic context why something like privacy is super important. Uh, So I highly recommend The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. That's not going to help you in your (laughs) day-to-day. So for that, I would definitely send you to our thing. Check out securityplanner.org. You're doing some great work. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about this. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on the show, Ben. Thank you. My pleasure. I'm so glad we got Ben on the show. I've been wanting to talk with Consumer Reports for a long time, and this was the first. Uh, So really glad we finally got that together. And they're doing so much cool stuff. So we really need to support those guys. Definitely subscribe if uh, if you haven't. Become a member. Um, Again, we, we do this not just for our own benefit. When, you, when we give money to groups like the EFF and Epic and, uh, and Consumer Reports and, and these other companies like FastMail and ProtonMail and companies that are making a point of creating products and services that are better for our security and privacy, we're not just directly helping ourselves. We are helping the market. We're helping the market to grow and new products to be created and for existing companies to say, hey, these people are actually willing to pay for this stuff. And in fact, they're going to switch away from my product if I don't do it too. So it's all good. It's just a virtuous cycle. 
So again, definitely check out their security planner tool. Uh, you can just go to securityplanner.org. Security planner, uh, just like it sounds, all one word. Take their little quiz and it will give you a personalized checklist for, for ways that you can improve your security and privacy right now. It's really cool. It's very simple. Uh, check it out and then tell your friends and family too because it's, it's really great and it can help you today. And then check out the digital standard. It's going to be helping you indirectly and behind the scenes as they use this as the, well, the standard, the gold standard for determining what it means when we say something is good at privacy or good at security. Uh, but we can all participate. Even if you're not a tech person, go to the digital standard. If you go to the main page and then you click on the little cat icon at the upper right, that'll take you to the GitHub site. And don't let that scare you. Yes, it's a coding thing. It's a software development thing. But... Uh, it's just a web page, and you can, with that web page, click on click on some buttons that will allow you to submit comments, and then they will review those comments, and perhaps your ideas will be incorporated into their digital standard. Now, he mentioned going to lab.cr.org. Now, if you've got the latest Firefox, Firefox has recently included a feature that basically forces websites to use HTTPS, uh, S being for secure. Because today, because certificates have gotten cheap, in fact, they're free from a consortium of companies that decided that we really need everything on the web to be encrypted, all websites now are, are capable of doing HTTPS communications. Some of them still default to HTTP mode, which is not secure, and that's what Firefox is trying to work around. And the EFFs plug in HTTPS everywhere basically did the same thing. And that is, if a site supports both, no matter what you typed in or what link you clicked on, it will definitely use the HTTPS version over the HTTP version. Now, some sites don't have that. And, and for whatever reason, I think just because that's a redirect site, lab.cr.org will trip this Firefox warning now. It will say this site is, I don't know if it says it's not secure, but at least will tell you that it's not HTTPS capable. Uh, that's because it's really going to redirect to another site. And if you're using Firefox, uh, you're going to be seeing this warning. And I've actually seen this warning on some that even when I click through the warning and say, yeah, take me there anyway, eventually it does load up HTTPS. So there might be some other redirection going on. And I think Firefox is going to have to sort that out. But nevertheless, it's it's a good thing that they're doing it. And uh, hopefully it will force the rest of the straggler sites out there to adopt HTTPS as well. It's free. There's no reason not to do it. But anyway, if you happen to be running the latest Firefox and you've enabled that, HTTPS warning feature, and you see the warning, that's why. Don't worry about it. Just go ahead and click, go on to the HTTP site, and you will be directed, redirected to the HTTPS full site that is, actually, I think it's digital-lab.consumerreports.org is the, the official full site that you'll be redirected to. And that site is HTTPS capable. All right, so I have decided that uh, I need to suck it up and create myself web sites and pages and presences on social media that I normally would avoid like the plague. And you know, I'm talking about Facebook. Uh, I had a Facebook account for a long time that I just kind of barely used because I didn't really like the idea of Facebook. And then after Cambridge Analytica, which was several years ago now, it was the last straw. And I, in protest, I deleted my Facebook accounts. I actually had two. I had a personal account and I had a business account. I deleted them. Well, that's, you know, great for being in an ivory tower. But if I really want to reach people, the people are on Facebook. So, you know, if I want to preach privacy as a, <laughs> as an evangelist, I need to go where people need to hear that message. And that would be Facebook and YouTube and some other places as well. But, um, so anyway, I did create a YouTube channel and uh, you could find that in the show notes uh, until I get enough subscribers. I can't actually 
choose a really cool URL that's easy to remember. However, I have created a bit.ly shortcut that will get you there that is easy to remember. So if you go to bit.ly, that's the bit.ly website, slash firewalls-youtube, that will take you there as well. And that's capital F on firewalls and capital Y, capital T on YouTube. Firewalls-youtube. And you can subscribe there. Currently, it's just the podcast. So, But if for some reason you prefer to consume your podcast via YouTube or you want to share them from YouTube, you could do that there. And if nothing else, just subscribe. And then and if nothing else, once I get enough subscribers, I can start making that site look a little better. YouTube requires a certain number of subscribers before they let you do some customization. So doesn't cost anything. Doesn't make me any money either, but uh, it would help if you just go subscribe. All right. And, and now the promised Facebook story. So again, I had Facebook accounts for a while back and, and I canceled them. So they're, they're gone. I can't log back into them anymore. They're, they've been deleted. So to create a Facebook business page, which is all I want to do, Facebook requires you to have a Facebook personal page. They have to be tied together. So I went to create a Facebook personal page, a new one. Um, and I picked a new email address to associate it with. And the first time I did it, I tried to get a little cute, you know, so, you know, they want your full name first and last. They want your birth date, email address, uh, maybe a couple of things. So I gave them CB for my first name and Parker is my last name. Actually, I think I tried to do CBP you know, just initials and they wouldn't have that. So I gave them my full last name and just, a you know, my initials for the first name. And for my birthday, I thought, don't, they don't need to know my birthday and they shouldn't care. Right. <laughs> right. So I, I said, okay, I was born January 1st, 1970, which if you're a, com you know, a computer person or a software engineer, you know, that that's what's called the Epic time E P O C H, uh, computers by default reference start time from January 1st in 1970. Anyway, long story. So it's an inside joke, but I, so I picked that, you know, close enough for government work and submitted it. And within, you know, they said, okay, we, we have to approve it. We'll come back. And then I got this notice saying it was declined because I violated their code of conduct. That's all it said. And they said, if you want to appeal, click here. Okay. So I appealed. And when you appeal, they want your cell phone number and it has to work because they're going to send you a code. And you have to be able to type back in what that code is. So great. So now they need my working cell phone number. Not happy, but I did it. They sent me the code. I entered the code. Then they said, we need a picture of your face, a clear picture of your face. Now they didn't ask for like my ID, like a driver's license. They didn't ask for a passport. They just wanted a picture of my face. So what that told me is that that's all they need <laughs> because I know and you should know by now too, that Facebook uses facial recognition technology all the time. So they, if there's any pictures of me out there, and of course there are, uh, even from my Facebook page way back when they've got them and they probably never deleted it. Uh, but if not, I'm sure people have tagged me. Uh, and so they just from a picture of my face will probably be able to find out that I am Carrie Parker, which is creepy, but I did it. I, you know, took a headshot and uploaded it. And they said, we'll get back to you. And again, this is not a human. This is just a web page saying, check back later. We'll let you know if, you know, what, what the status of your, of your appeal is. Well, next day I checked back and they said, sorry, you've been permanently banned. And you know what? Let me read it to you. This is all the response I got back. It says your account has been disabled. You can't use Facebook because your account or activity on it didn't follow our community standards. And that's what I meant before I said code of conduct. That was community standards. We have already reviewed this decision and it can't be reversed. 
To learn more about the reasons we disable accounts, visit the community standards, and they give you a link. So basically, this is <laughs> this is them saying, you know what you did, <laughs> but I don't. I have no idea. This uh, so. I did it again. I thought, okay, maybe they, maybe they figured out that wasn't my real birthday and they didn't like that. So I did it. I did the whole process again. I picked another email address because I have many. And this time I gave them my real first name. This time I gave them my real birth date, figuring, okay, maybe they actually know somewhere that, you know, they actually really do have this information somewhere. And so they know I'm lying (laughs) because it shouldn't matter, but it apparently does. And I don't know. So I, I did it again. And again, I was rejected. I appealed. And again, I was denied. So I've tried twice now. And I have not been able to establish a simple Facebook account. I haven't done anything with it. I don't know what what possible standards I could have violated. And they won't tell me, so I can't fix it. So I tried one more time. And I tried to be a little more deliberate. And with little help from somebody on Twitter... Uh, I did manage to find a new setting that kind of let me go a little bit further in verifying my info. Uh, there's this thing on there where if you want to post ads with political content, you can take like this extra step to verify yourself. And uh, and so I, I just on a whim, I thought, okay, let me let me try that. And so I went through that process. I gave them even more information, including a full copy of the back and front of my driver's license. And I answered some questions like you would, you know, like in a, when they're trying to, f- when you, like, you know, when they ask you places you've lived, loans you've had, you know, stuff that basically comes off your credit report, which they somehow figured out how to look up and ask me. And I went through all that and I created a new personal page and that one seemed, seemed to stick. And so I went ahead and created a business page off of that, which again, I have to create a personal page first, and then you have to hang your business page off of the personal page. And I did that. And so far, so good. Knock on wood. It has remained. It doesn't seem to be going away. I've even got a couple followers now. So I would like to ask each of you to go check it out. Follow it if you don't mind or give it a like or whatever, share it around. I'm sure the more people I get, the less likely it will be to be removed. At least I hope so. I don't know. But anyway, stay tuned to that. I I, I will be, my plan is to post um, all my podcasts there, but I'm also going to start posting some, some little quick tips and comments and things on the Facebook page too, which, you know, you might find interesting and you can share with some others. So hopefully all's well that ends well. Uh, by the time you, by the time you hear this podcast, it may not be there. Okay. So how do you find my Facebook page? So you should just be able to go and search on it within Facebook and just search on firewalls. Don't stop dragons. However, if for some reason that does not bring it up, you can also use a bit.ly link for that as well. And it's bit.ly slash firewalls dash Facebook. And that's a capital F on firewalls and a capital F on Facebook firewalls dash Facebook. And that link is in the show notes and both the YouTube link and the Facebook link are also off my webpage. If you go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com and you scroll down on the right-hand side, there's a bunch of little social media buttons there and you will find the Facebook one and you will find the YouTube one. So lots of ways for you to find it. Please go check those out. Subscribe if you can. Share with your friends and family. All right, next up. So as you know, I am trying to do a review blitz. Uh, I don't know why I keep calling it that. That's a weird name. But I'm trying to get some reviews posted for uh, my book on Amazon, which due to a snafu, which I've talked about before, I was not able to carry forward my 57 five-star reviews from my previous version to this one. So I had to start from scratch. 
which is really not good. Amazon really needs reviews uh, for your book to be noticed. Um, so I really need them on the book. And then also I need some fresh reviews for the podcast. I've got 25 five-star reviews there now, but there, I don't think there's any even from 2020. So uh, what I'd said was if I can get 10 each, 10 new reviews on iTunes, on, on the Apple iTunes webpage, and 10 new reviews for the Amazon book, the fourth edition, I would host an Ask Me Anything session, an AMA, as we call it, uh, for all the people that post reviews. You would just need to post a review, send me an email, uh, show me what your review looks like so I'll know what it's you and I'll know how to contact you. And then I would invite you to this private session where you can ask me anything you want on privacy and security for an hour or so, and I will just be there to answer your questions. So far, uh, I've got no new iTunes reviews, and I've gotten two Amazon reviews, which have been great, by the way. And I'm going to read one of them here in a second, one of the new ones. I think there is a review process. Like, I think it takes a couple days once you post for it to show up. So it's quite possible there are some in the queue that I have not seen yet. But that also means that if you're planning to do it, please do it sooner rather than later so that we make sure we get these in soon. Uh, my original deadline for this was December 25th, Christmas Day. I may have to extend that, but I really don't want to. Uh, I really would like to get these reviews in ASAP. So again, please take five minutes. Go to either Amazon or iTunes and, and drop a nice review there for me. It would really, really mean a lot to me and be a huge help. And if you'd like to participate in the AMA, you know, send me a snapshot of the review uh, with, via email. Uh, I had told people to use feedback at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, which is fine. You could do that. But I've also got that set up to auto-respond with a kind of a generic response. Uh, so you could also, if you want, just send uh, send it to reviews at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. And then at least you won't get my canned response. And I will uh, I will reach out to you if we, if we reach our goals. I'll reach out to you and we'll set up this private uh, session where you can ask me any questions you want. And I said I would read them on the air, and I will. Uh, here's a new one, and the, I'm, I would read the person's name, but it's just obvious, just a, a nickname, pseudonym, so it wouldn't have any meaning. But this person knows who they are, <laughs> and this is a great review. This is this is the review that was just posted on Amazon. It says, This is the second edition of Carrie Parker's book that I have bought, and it gets better with each new version. The book dispenses tons of tips, both big and small, on how to improve your online security and privacy. Thanks to advice from this book and Parker's podcast, also named Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, I have significantly improved my family's internet security and privacy levels over the past two or three years. Following his advice, I have started using a password manager to keep track of all my long random passwords. I now use a VPN for both my family's laptops and our phones. I have migrated away from the prying eyes of Gmail and now use two privacy-respecting four-pay email providers, FastMail and ProtonMail. I use an external hard drive and an online backup service. DuckDuckGo is my default search engine and Firefox is my browser of choice. I bought a router and changed the password away from the default password that is vulnerable to hackers. I've migrated our phones and my laptop to the Apple family of products because they are more privacy-conscious than the Android phones and Windows PCs that I have used in the past. And now I use Signal to send encrypted text to my family and friends. It might seem daunting at first, but Carrie Parker breaks computer security and privacy down to manageable steps. With Carrie's help, you can start small and gradually increase the security and privacy for everyone in your family. What a wonderful review. Thank you so much. I appreciate every single one. And as they come in in the next few weeks or so, I will read them on the air. Now, two weeks from today uh, will be the 200th episode of the Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons podcast. 200 episodes. That's almost four years. It's really hard to believe. And it is turning into quite the show. Uh, as I've said, Bruce Schneier, the literally world-renowned crypto guru and security expert, will be my guest. He was here for the 100th episode and is coming back for the 200th. 
He's a really great guy, and he's going to be talking about a really cool project that he's working on with uh, Tim Berners-Lee, who is the father of the World Wide Web. Not the internet, but the World Wide Web. He, the, basically, Tim Berners-Lee was the guy who figured out that you could post web pages with links on them, hyperlinks, uh, and that would be a really cool thing. Uh, and it turns out that he doesn't really like the way his baby has grown up and has come up with some proposals for how we might actually own and protect our data going forward. It's really neat. Uh, and we're going to talk to Bruce all about that and explain how that's going to work. And in kind of keeping with the show, it's going to be right before New Year's. And because 2020 has been such a dumpster fire and something that we cannot wait to put in our rearview mirror, this show is about looking ahead, looking up to 2021 and a positive and bright future for security and privacy uh, and New Year's resolutions. And so I will be proposing for you some things that I think would be great resolutions for you guys to adopt next year, uh, ways that you can improve your security and privacy, you know, goals to set for yourself. And to that end, I have reached out to many of my past guests and some future guests to offer up their own little tidbits for this. And they are go they've sent me some audio snippets, which I will be playing with some really cool ideas. Uh, we're talking about the CEO of ProtonMail, one of the executives at FastMail, Corey Doctrow, CEO and founder of Winston Privacy. We've got lots of them coming from some really cool people. I've really been impressed by the number of people that have agreed to send it. Now, I'm still waiting on some of, the, some of those to come in. So uh, hopefully they will all come in in time, but you're definitely going to listen to that show. It's going to be really a lot of fun. Great information, but it's also quite lucrative. I'm going to be doing a, announcing a giveaway on this show, and I've asked a lot of these same people and their respective companies to donate some prizes to be given away, and they've been extremely generous. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of equipment and gift cards and free services and all sorts of things. So you're definitely going to tune into that and, and tell your friends and family this, this is worth tuning in just for this uh, so you can find out how to enter. And they're like my previous book giveaway, there'll be multiple ways for you to enter. So uh, you're going to want to listen to the show to find all about that. And that is two weeks from now. So if you haven't subscribed already, now would be a great time to subscribe. So you make sure you do not miss that episode. Uh, a couple weeks back, I released my best and worst gift guide for 2020, uh, my annual guide to the best and worst gifts in terms of privacy and security. So if you're still looking for some gift ideas or want to know if the thing you're thinking about getting somebody is really a good idea, you're definitely going to want to check that out. I have added uh, and updated that list since we last talked, since the last week or two. So uh, check it out anew. Go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. It'll be one of the first couple entries there on the on the blog. And I'll probably keep updating it through the season. So check back every so often. All right. Now, I've got some news items. Normally, I would try to wait on some of these things, but these are things I, d I can't wait on. These are things that are security issues that you're going to need to know about uh, right now. So first of all, there's this is the time of year. Everyone's doing shopping and buying things online, especially with COVID. We're not going out as much as we used to. And the bad guys know that too. So there's a lot of scams going on right now, many of which are trying to get your credit card number. Some of these things are really hard to guard against, actually. But you don't have to just not shop online. There are ways. First of all, it's a credit card. So worst case, you'll have to get a new credit card, but you shouldn't be out any money, right? So even if someone gets your credit card number and buys something on it, you're not liable for that as long as you report it in time. And more than likely, your credit card company is going to find it before you do. So from that sense, it's more of an annoyance, but it's still something I don't recommend. You don't want to support these bad guys. Uh, you want to try to defeat them. And one of the things that a lot of credit card companies are doing now that will help in this regard is you can go to their website when you log into your account, your credit card account, and poke around a little bit. I know Citibank does this. Uh, Capital One, I think, does it too. 
but look for a virtual credit card number. And what this is, is basically they will generate on the fly for you a one-time use credit card number. And so you can use, especially for mom and pop places where you might only ever buy one thing ever, if you need to give them a credit card online, give them a virtual credit card number. And that way, if for some reason that card number is stolen, they won't be able to do anything with it or not very much with it. And it won't mean that you'll have to get yourself a brand new credit card and a credit card number. If you happen to have an Apple card, like the actual physical Apple uh, credit card, they have this capability as well. And they do some, actually even some more security and privacy stuff behind the scenes. So if you haven't gotten applied for one of those yet, you might want to look at that as well. Uh, another thing, and I normally would read, read from these articles and get into details, but uh, since uh, we're a little short on time, if you have a D-Link Wi-Fi router, uh, there has been some nasty vulnerabilities found in these lately, uh, in particular models DSR-150, DSR-250, DSR-500, and DSR-1000AC. If you happen to have one of those D-Link router models, you need to be looking to update uh, your software as soon as it's available. Last I heard, they're coming out mid-December, which is about now. Honestly, the easiest thing to do, probably if you haven't done so already, is go and register your D-Link product. And just in general, this is a good, this is a good advice for anybody with an IoT device. I know you'll get a lot of spam junk, uh, but uh, you know, register your TVs, your IoT toasters, <laughs> because because these things have software running on them, and the software has bugs. And when they find bugs, you need to get those bugs patched. And unfortunately, most of these devices won't do it themselves automatically. So uh, at least if you register your products with these, uh, with these companies, they should be sending you an email when there's vulnerabilities found and tell you how to update your products. Uh, so you could do that in this case with D-Link as well, and hopefully they will email you when these uh, patches are available. Uh, and then hopefully they will also instruct you on how to apply the patches to get your software up to date. So D-Link routers, if you've got one, especially one of the DSR models I mentioned, please be looking for software updates and get those software updates applied as soon as possible. Now, another scam I read about recently, and this is actually uh, was on a local news station, and thanks to one of my DEF CON buddies who posted it on Twitter, and that is the Cash App. There's a scam going around with Cash App, and I, I bring it up also because there are lots of these types of scams that are going on. And, and what happened in this particular case was somebody contacted somebody with the Cash App and claimed to be from Cash App, from support, and was going to, I forget exactly how it went, but it was basically was there to help them transfer money from their Cash App account to their bank account. And as you can imagine, uh, that would involve getting the details of both the Cash App account and their bank account. And what actually happened was this person took all the money from the Cash App, and I believe they drained their bank account as well. So obviously you're hearing it from me, and as I'm telling you the story, you're thinking, oh, I know what happened, and I would never do that. But these guys can be really convincing. And when it happens to you, it's really easy to, to get caught up in these things. That's how they work. So this is about the cash app in particular, but in general, as particularly at this time of year, be very wary. If somebody reaches out to you in any form, email, text through the, through an app pop up saying, you know, we're from support and we're here to help, or, you, you know, you've got a problem that we need to fix, or you've got an account issue. We need to log in and have you verify your information. There's a virus on your computer, or even your computer is running slow. And we, and we've noticed this and we're here to help be very, very wary of those. If they do happen, and if they sound convincing, you know, find out where they're from, hang up or quit the communications, go directly to the site that they claim to be, find the support phone number or email from that site and go directly uh, there and verify 
that it really was them that contacted you. And if it's not, they're probably going to want to know so that you can report the scam and they can try to uh, alert their users. All right, one more, and this is actually an article I will read. Um, this is about a new browser malware that currently only affects Windows browsers, but many different Windows browsers, including Chrome, Firefox, Edge, and and presumably because it affects Chrome, it affects other you know Chromium-based browsers like Opera, Vivaldi, and I think Brave is too. I thought Brave was originally Firefox, but according to this article, it's not. So anyway, let me read this article from Tom's Guide to give you a better idea of what's going on here. A gang of crooks is infecting Chrome, Firefox, Edge, and, and other browsers with malware that hijacks search results with ads and sometimes even steals user passwords and other login credentials. Microsoft said yesterday, which in this case was December 10th, in a blog post. Now, again, this is from Microsoft, and as far as I know, this only affects Windows users. Uh, this doesn't affect macOS users, and I, they don't mention mobile either, so assume at this point that it's only for Windows PCs. The malware strain, which Microsoft calls Adrazek, A-D-R-O-Z-E-K, infects Windows machines via drive-by downloads that try to get through browser defenses as soon as a browser loads one or one of more than two million malicious web pages. The malware, which constantly changes its code to avoid traditional antivirus detection, installs itself as what seems to be a normal audio-related program. And this is a quote from Microsoft. It says, At its peak in August, the threat was observed on over 30,000 devices every day. End users who find this threat on their devices are advised to reinstall their browsers, unquote. And they did say that this is a campaign, this malware campaign, is still operating. Adrazek specifically targets Mozilla Firefox, Google Chrome, and the new Microsoft Edge browser, and the Yandex browser, widely used in Russian-speaking countries. But as the latter three all are based on the Chromium open-source browser, other browsers such as Brave, Opera, and Vivaldi should also be considered vulnerable. You'll be able to tell you're infected if you get a whole lot of weird-looking web links in your search results. These links aren't necessarily malicious, but the crooks behind Adrazek get a few pennies every time someone clicks on one of them. Normally, you can get rid of browser hijacking adware if you just reset Chrome or reset Firefox. But Adrazek burrows deep into the browsers, altering or mimicking legitimate extensions, switching off security protections, disabling automatic updates, and even altering registry entries and creating a separate Windows service to run independently, so getting rid of it requires a lot more. You'll have to delete Firefox and all Chromium-based browsers entirely, run a malware scan with your choice of the best antivirus software, reboot your PC, run the malware scan again, and then reinstall your browsers and import your saved bookmarks. And of course, implied there is you should be exporting your bookmarks so you don't lose them, and you can re-import them later. If you're using Firefox, and then Chrome probably does this too, you can set up a sync account so that your browsers are actually synced, uh, synchronized with the cloud, and then you should just be able to download them again. Anyway, one last word from the article. It says, to avoid Androzek infection, keep your browsers up to date at all times, and, well, use one of the best antivirus programs. All right, now, as for best antivirus programs, um, I've taken the rather controversial position that most for-pay antivirus programs are more than what you need. And in a lot of cases, they actually do more harm than good because they do some really nasty security stuff burrowing into your operating system to do what they think they need to do. They're a little overzealous. And unfortunately, if they do that wrong in any way, they leave you vulnerable to more attacks than they were if they weren't there at all. So what I usually tell Windows folks is just use Windows Defender. It comes with Microsoft. It's free. It's very good. It's all you need. Stick with that. Uh, on a Mac, Macs do have some built-in security 
programs like Gatekeeper and so on that try to keep you safe, but that's not truly an antivirus program. If you uh, if you feel you want a met an antivirus program, uh, I would look at maybe Avira or Sophos Home. Uh, they both have free versions of those. And while I normally stay stay away from free, these guys do have a business model um, where they sell you know to enterprises and pro versions of these where they make their money. And I'm sure the free versions probably will nag you to upgrade, but they are they are safe to use. Now, I don't know if they're going to protect you against this, um, but if you feel you need it, I would go with that. Of course, Malwarebytes is another great option. Uh, I don't think they've got a free version that is a constant scanning version. I think you have to pay for that. Uh, but you can download their tool and run a one-time scan for free, and it does a good job as well. Uh, and by the way, uh, Malwarebytes is one of the companies, I believe, that will be contributing some free licenses in our 200th episode. Okay, that is all the news. Uh, there would have been more, but I'll, I'll have to save some of that for the future. We've gone on long enough today. So again, just to wrap up, check out the Digital Standard and the Security Planner tool from Consumer Reports. They're both really cool. If nothing else, definitely check out the Security Planner. And you can get there at securityplanner.org. All this stuff will be in the show. All these links will be in the show notes as well. So look for them there. Become a Consumer Reports member too. It's really not that expensive and it's got a lot of great content and you'll be supporting some really good efforts. Next week, we'll be doing the Best of 2020 episode where I'll be wrangling some of my favorite tips from the uh, podcast from the year 2020. And, you know, maybe I'll throw in some other stuff too if I can find some other interesting things. But basically a Best of episode, probably do this every year at this point as kind of our holiday episode. That will be coming next week. And the week after that is the big one, 200, 200th podcast episode. Definitely don't want to miss that. Please put in those reviews, uh, iTunes. Uh, I'm at 25 now and I have been for quite a while. I don't think there's any reviews from 2020. So if we can get to 35 total reviews on, on Apple iTunes website and 10 total reviews on Amazon, the book website for the fourth edition, everybody who contributed will be invited to a private ask me anything session, probably in January. In January, I've got an interview with a top exec from Fastmail. That is very interesting. You're going to want to listen to that. And soon after that, I'll have a really interesting talk with some folks up in New York. Uh, actually, they're around the country um, called the Tech Learning Collective. They do some really interesting stuff. So I can't wait to hear from those guys. So anyway, lots of great stuff in the, uh, in the hopper. Subscribe and you won't miss any of it. All right, that'll do it, everybody. Stay safe. Uh, happy holidays for all of you that, that celebrate one of the various December holidays. Stay safe. Uh, really, folks, if you can, do not get together with your family this, this year, at least nobody that you're not currently already living with. COVID is horrible. I know we've got vaccines uh, finally been approved and they're just around the corner, but it's going to take months before those get rolled out to everybody. And right now we've, we're spiking and it's just going to get worse if we we throw caution to the wind and get and get together in person again. It's just those that's like the worst possible conditions for spreading the virus. So wear those masks, stay in when you can, stay safe. And as always, until next week, don't get caught with your garbage down.